Hi everyone, welcome to Frankly, the energy podcast for founders. I'm your host, Siobhan Clark, where I'll be dealing it straight to you from entrepreneurs who have scaled and failed, investors who are passionate and seen it all, and leading tech voices that are looking to build moonshots to change the way we live. Hi, I'm Siobhan Clark. I'm an operating partner, BP Launchpad. We're here on our fifth podcast at Frankly, so having the conversations with lots of very interesting investors and entrepreneurs and those that are connected with entrepreneurs in um, figuring out how to invest and scale new energy companies. I'm pretty excited about today's guest because we have, first of all, the incredible Ruth Penfold from uh, who heads up our people practice. And Ruth, do you want to give us a little intro to yourself? Say hello and then we'll come back. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Delighted to be on the pod. And I am part of Launchpad's core team heading up the people practice uh, with a background coming from very much kind of startup world with the names of the likes of people like Shazam and more recently on Fido, who are more of a UK organisation. Always a pleasure to work alongside Ruth on many things associated with people, with talent, with culture, with different kind of components. And then we have another very special guest, which is the incredible, and it is the incredible kind of Ren Farah. Ren, do you want to give us a little intro to yourself? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me and allowing me to be the American voice on this thing. I've been working in Silicon Valley for almost 30 years now, and I built a company with my wife, who is my boss, by the way. She's my CEO. And I built a company with Mo that really fundamentally has been serving founders of tech companies and their senior teams, and then helping them to scale to some of the monoliths that you know. So we cut our teeth very early back in the day with you know, what we call the people that push metal, you know, Sun Microsystems, Oracle, Cisco, those kind of people, and then moved into Google, Yahoo, and all of that, all the way up to the Airbnbs. Uh, Ren was working with us on Fido and he did a phenomenal job. Ren is certainly at the epicenter of what's happening for startups in London at the moment. We're going to actually talk today about, you know, how do you think like a founder and what are some of the elements that put you deep into a founder mindset? And the reason why we're going to explore this particular space is that as Launchpad, we have this ambition of, of investing in and scaling um, energy companies. And we do that in a way that says, uh, how do we create five years of growth in two? So how do we unlock that growth for a particular company? But we all know that to unlock growth, this idea of the technical elements, the market strategy, the product, and having a lot in place, that's in some ways the easy bit. The challenging bit is really about how do you unlock that growth in yourself? How do you unlock growth potential in you as an individual that then unlocks that potential into the organization that enables you to think like a finder? So, so where does this whole element of thinking like a finder come from? What are the elements for it? And, and Ruth, what did you see at Shazam that you're bringing into Launchpad that meant you, you were like, hey, Ren, you got to come and have a conversation with us here as well? Well, let me frame this a little bit. When you build a business in Silicon Valley and you start it in 1989, your chances of failure are slim to none. Like if you happen to be at this place at that time, and we didn't really expect to target founders. Well, we had just found ourselves in the room with founders very early on. And because we're founders as well, 
we found a real kind of alignment with how they think, like the way they approach life, right? So example would be a typical founder, instead of saying, why me when something happens to them, they go watch this. Like they just fundamentally want to show you, you know, you know, let's say the whole world's collapsing. So let's go to Brian Chesky right now. When all of the world fell apart on travel, people would have thought that Airbnb was, oh my God, Brian must be down in the mouth. He must be depressed and all that. That is not what founders do. It was the opposite. So what I did is I quickly text Brian and say, Brian, my bet right now is you are giddy. You're excited. And he responded in bold letters, I am more than excited. This is going to be an amazing moment for Airbnb. Now imagine that. All of travel has collapsed. All of his revenues has gone down it's something to 20%. The market opportunity for the IPO was in the toilet. It was over, right? And yet that founder, not depressed at all, the opposite. Okay, so what does that, what does that tell us about founders? Founders are, they walk the earth in a very interesting way. Now, now here's the fundamental challenge though. So there, there's a natural nature. There's, there's a nature to founders, right? But then what are the elements that, you know, how can you take it apart? And so what my wife and I have been doing with my team over the last two years, we have been interviewing founders globally to try to uncover what are the elements? Like, what is it, you know, what it makes you do this, right? And try to find a way of, of putting them in categories that are applicable to non-founders, like to people that maybe don't have that insane thinking, like they're human beings, which means they see a risk and they respond to the risk, right? They run maybe, right? Um, so how do, you, how do you do that? And here's what we landed on. I'm gonna give you the six that we landed on. Now, sadly, it's six, but, but it's these six. The first one is this. All founders have a mission-driven mindset, meaning they've got a problem they wanna solve and, and they're just fixated on it. It's like, if you think about every founder, they're fixated on something. You, you can't dissuade them. Number two, they're very future-oriented. They don't live in today. They, they, whatever's real today, they go, I hear you, but you know, they take you somewhere else. So they're always living in that future place. They are relentless. And what does relentless mean? It's that idea of grit and resilience. Nothing gets in the way. The fourth one is they have a bias to action. They're not going to sit in a room and talk about what could be. They're going to say, how do we make it happen? The fifth thing is they're very culture sensitive. They're, if, you, if you think about most founders, they talk a lot about their culture, how my people feel, the world I'm building. And this idea of, uh, if you know anything about people who build cartoons or build um, you know, future worlds, they talk about this idea of building a world. Like, and what does that really mean? It means that when you join a film like Star Wars, I worked very closely with the Star Wars team for years, they build what they call a world, which means that when you walk in the theater and that thing cranks up, you all of a sudden believe you're actually living in this future space place. Well, founders believe that same thing about their cultures. I want you to believe that you live somewhere, right? And then the last one is the simple, which probably is the most important of all, is they're generally very deep learners versus knowers. And if I had to say of all the six, that's the fundamental difference between why a founder can make something grow really fast is because they understand that the growth must begin with them. They have to grow fast before they can expect their teams to grow, before they expect the market to grow, anything, they have to grow. And that's that idea of learner versus knower. I love that. And so much of what you were saying there, Ren, resonated with me because if I think back to Shazam, so actually my years at Shazam 
were found, like we did have one founder in the business, but he had, he's, he was, a, he's Avery Wang, the guy that wrote the algorithm that is Shazam. And he was st still in the organization, but in a different role. But Chris Barton, the guy that originally had the idea, the founder, he was what, like when I came into Shazam and I was trying to help us to really codify what the culture meant for us today and take us on a journey, actually, um, I love you, Shazam, but we kind of ached for the lack of Chris Barton, honestly. And Rich Riley did a phenomenal job as CEO. He really did. But what you're talking about is that, you know, because Chris Barton had the idea that Shazam could work and, oh, my goodness, how are we going to do it? Managed to persuade the, the likes of Avery to keep trying and keep trying. And Avery will tell you this himself. Keep going. You can. We can do it. We can identify music. It's magic. We can do it. It was him that his belief was the thing that made Avery go, okay, fine. And Avery talks about having job offers that he turned down to go, okay, fine, I'll join, I'll do this thing, I'll figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. So he very much was the epitome of what you're talking about. But of course, I didn't have, I didn't work with him firsthand. What I was coming into was the legacy that he'd left behind. And then to the growth curve point with Onfido, um, we had... Uh, incredibly phenomenally smart founders. They were growing, 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 growing as fast as they possibly could. And so much of what you're talking about, they were so protective of their culture. They were so focused on learning every day. It's like, I've read this book on blah, blah, blah. Can we do it? How are we going to do that? You know, I talk about one thing and, you know, particularly the COO, Eamon, he'd have read a book on it and he's come up with an idea about it. So, I mean, that you would probably also recognize that in those founders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, well, we interviewed them too for this. I mean, it was both Eamon and Hussein were interviewed. We interviewed something like 70 plus founders, really, really hands-on. Like we spent a lot of the time with them, right? And then we probably had another 200 or so that we did more just kind of testing things on to see, you know, what's real and what's not to land on these simple ideas. Now the issue is how do you actually make it operational? So, because you can't expect people to all be crazy, right? Um, so you got to figure out how do I take rational people and apply these six things so that you can actually come close to acting like and thinking like a founder without all the baggage, because there's baggage. The founder has a baggage problem, right? But if you can get them in a professional category to adopt certain skills. So if you think in terms of mentors, mentors is, you know, if you're constantly in your professional life, do not think you know things. Like you only know what you know. Like if you are, if I if you study quantum mechanics as an example, I'm going to get a little satiric here. But quantum mechanics teaches you this: that life is not about truth; it's about points of view. Because the truth is, everybody is floating around in this little weird space, and they're all they have their own perspective. So the only way that you can really functionally understand and learn is you better tap into all of those points of view. Now you better be grounded. So you better know what your values are. You better know what you stand for. You better, you know, so that's what that investment in self. Who are you? Why, what do you do and why does it matter? Critical elements, but understand that mentors, and that can be other founders. It can be other professionals in the industry. One of the founders I work with, he used to do this practice. Every week from reading newspapers and magazines or watching TV, he would find one famous person and reach out to them and ask for a meeting and by God he got him. and he made his mission that every week he would talk to somebody famous 
about whatever it is, science, history, politics, music, art, it didn't matter. And this was a, a tech founder, right? Why? Because he knew that mentorship opened up his brain to, to what you know the world that he's living in. So mentors are really critical. The, 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 this idea of models is walk the earth with some idea, but don't lock yourself into the models. Be careful. Like don't get so vested in the model that it works against you reacting in the moment to what needs to happen. So it's the idea of have a strong opinion, lightly held. So I have a strong opinion about this model, but man, will I break it tomorrow? You bet your ass I will, right? And then the, and the idea of methods is skills. Learn to actively listen. Learn to tell your narrative. Going to what you were just saying, Ruth, about this idea of you know, being able to tell your story. Be a storyteller. Understand the power of story. Understand influencing. Understand others. Like know what makes other people tick. Like personality profiles, strength finders. Uh, this idea of something called the moral foundation. Understand what makes people function the way they function so that you can then speak to that truth or to that point of view within quantum mechanics, right? This is essential for people to move something quicker than humanity will let you move. There is that like, you know, how do you grow tomatoes fast? You know, you're gonna have to put a ton of sunlight on them, water the hell out of them, you know, but right, the, the, it, there's a certain nature to growth, but you can rush it, but you better damn well be willing to make the investments. And mainly that investment is you. You got to know that the growth begins with you. Does that make sense, Yvonne? Does that like totally sense? makes sense? And I think there's there's something interesting in what you're saying, which is identify the six elements. If you're the investor and you're investing, you are investing in people. All things being equal, you're investing in people. So identify, see if you can see each one of those six components, evidence of that coming through, through your interactions, the way that they think, the way that they see a problem, the way that they see customers. And then there's a secondary part that once you invest, how do you support them in that journey? And I think you bring something up that I like, there's mentors, there's models, there's methods, but there's also a journey of self throughout that. And, you know, Ruth, we, we've employed a couple of methods through the portfolio companies that we've interacted with. Which are the ones that, that stand out and shine for you in terms of um, the unlocking this growth? Oh, well, I mean, I think I think it's safe to say we're just getting started, Siobhan. I mean, you mm -hmm. and I are only a year in at Launchpad and our companies are, are all at the very kind of early stages of growth, I would say. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think I think one of the first things that we did very early on with the leadership community that we work with is make sure that they had access to coaching, first of all, because really, um, you know, you have to understand how you're, that has to start with a 360 that tells you how you're showing up in the world, how you're showing up to your people. Um, and then really what we do is we invite people on essentially a journey back to themselves should they choose to take it. But we're just kicking off with things like leadership roundtables where we can actually get those leaders really engaging with one another and having a dialogue. I guess use those groups to reflect to one another how they're showing up in a kind of critical friendship type model where it's not just the organization that's that's giving that feedback. It's actually a little bit more of a kind of, I guess, 
petri dish <laughs> where they're actually working in that moment but i think really starting that journey with our leaders as fast as possible that says you know what this is who, how you're showing up let's work on what your goals are there and then supporting them to really build the team that they need not just the team that they think that they should have or that a textbook says that they should have because the team that they need and the team that they think they need are usually quite different things. And that, that has to come from very deep self-study and analysis to say, look, this is what I'm great at and this is what I'm not so great at. It's you know, self, it's team, and then it's scale, right? So you think about those things. And right next to it, if you're looking at a triangle, the, the thematic is communication. Like you better really be able to be a good communicator. Well, to be a good communicator, you've got to really understand, you've got to get to who you really are. And so I always go to those three questions. You know, who am I? What do I do to reflect who I am? And then why does it matter, right? And those are actually fundamentally come from brand. That's a brand. Those are the three questions of brand. And so who am I is my values, what I stand for, right? And you have to go back to your childhood. You have to think about your parents. You have to really think about really who you are, not who you think you are, but who are you really? Like some people, they have a hard time realizing that all they really want to do is get rich. I go, you know what? That's your value. Don't, that's what it is. So screw it. Don't be mad at yourself. That's what it is. Let's focus on that. So what do you do to make rich happen? Right? What's your behavior? Right? And then why would it matter that you were rich? Why would it matter? And let's, let's come up with a reason larger than simply you buy a big house, right? Because that's ridiculous. So it's that fundamental thing. But then understand that communication is the critical methods, the critical skills that you need to have in order to do this really well. Because you have to not just get your ducks in a row for yourself, but you've got to get a group of people willing to follow you and to be inspired by what you're doing and embrace the mission. And then you've got to be able to scale that in a large organization as you, as you grow. The number one fundamental thing I would say is this, though. The, the biggest problem for founders or any leader is themselves. And if they don't understand that fundamentally, that you're going to fail because of you. You're not going to fail because the team was bad. You're not going to fail because the product was bad in the market or that something happened in the environment. It's never that. It's you. So your ego, your self-interest, your ambition, you better get that under control. Because I found that where founders really screw up is their ego gets tilted off. They start believing their own crap. And when you start doing that, now you're going to see things crumble and fall apart. So the critical element is understand that you're the problem. You're also the solution. It's strictly you. It's nobody else. So if your team fails, I, as I say to founders all the time, we get in a room privately and I go, okay, I hear you. Your CFO sucks. I hear you. But whose fault is that, that your CFO sucks? And I go, well, he did it. I go, no, no, no. You hired him. You recruited him in. I think it's your fault. Right? And I constantly bring that back as leaders own the problem. And then, you know, that Apollo 13 idea, you know, then work the problem. Like, don't sit there and point fingers and blame and get all mad. That gets you nowhere. That, that, I think that's fundamental to fast growth. You've got to understand it's about you. You fail, it fails. It's nothing else. And it's almost like we think about the, the five years of growth in two and this aspect of, well, how do you get to this sense of self quickly? Uh, what's, what's step one to getting to this sense of self? Because everything you describe sounds like a multi-year journey. But hey-ho, 
we need 20 million in revenue this year from 2 million the year before you better get a bloody move on you know what are you unlocking quickly in self what's step one well, to I, do that? I, I'm, I'm going to be very simplistic here okay and this is bad and i just but and, and ruth you have to push back on me you know you know, the idea of you know when you talk to people about building trust you know what does it take to build trust right people always talk it takes time and proximity you know consistency of behavior over time right but if we're moving really fast there's another way to build trust like like that, actually. And it's real simple. Decide to. Just decide to. I'm going to trust you. The skills that, that I teach and I know that Ruth teaches, sadly, is adopted by dumb people first. Because dumb people don't overthink it. Like, you know, if it's like, uh, you know, if you're asking me to, to pick up a golf club and, and learn how to swing differently, dumb people will get that swing pretty quickly. Because they don't overthink it. They don't question it. They go, okay, what do I do? And they hit the ball, right? Founders and smart people get in their, in their own way. Decide that you're the problem. Decide that growth is imperative. Decide that it's all about you and how many mentors you have, the methods and your, and, your, and your models. Decide it. Don't take all that time. You're holding your company back. Most companies that grow slow, I can always trace it back to the founder. It's not the senior teams. It's not the marketplace. It's none of that. Always, always, always the leader, the founder. Always. It's one of the great truths in life. I don't know, Ruth, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, really, that yes, absolutely, it's about making that decision. But unfortunately, there is no fast track to growth and self-awareness. There isn't. It is, it's literally walking over the hot coals of your life to get to the better place, right? So you need to, um, as a leader and just as a human, discover, just experiment. Your tool, what The toolkit that you need to thrive and show up as your best self is not gonna be the same as mine. It's not gonna be the same as Ren's. It's not gonna be the same as Siobhan's. But the, what you owe it to yourself and your people to do is to figure out what, what, is, what it is that you need to get there. And that might come in a number of different forms. It might be, a conversation that changes everything for you it might be that you learn how to meditate and then that gives you a means of connection it might be that you do some other activity in your life that enables you to connect to yourself mm -hmm. um it you know it might be that you do therapy it could be whatever but but it is a journey and it is a long journey um but it is a very worthwhile journey and just starting is better than not starting because who knows how much you're going to unlock in yourself by just that chance conversation with perhaps the random famous person that you now make it your business to speak to each week. But who knows what they're going to tap into in you? Because I know for myself, the biggest shifts I've made in my life have typically come from the inspiration of a conversation that the other person didn't even realize we were having. They said something, I took it somewhere else and changed everything because of it. So... Yeah, I mean, that that's really what I would say is that the journey, there, there isn't, one size does not fit all. And you commit to it. And, and what my point about the decide is, Ruth, I think about your story. There was a moment you made the decision. And if you were to think about your life before that decision versus your life after the decision. Exactly right. Look, look at growth. How fast did you grow once you made that decision? The growth was far faster, right? Yeah. And that's my point about deciding. That the biggest problem I see with founders is they delay the decision. And what I'm saying is, know you're the problem, make that decision, 
then you're exactly right. It, it takes a process. It's not going to be overnight. But, but by just deciding, things start moving far quicker. And if we assume then, right, because you talked, we've been talking about three steps to this mix. So the self, the values, who I am, and we know there's a particular journey you're going to go on and that. But there's a second component you say in, in terms of then team, knowing, knowing what you need to add around that mix. But also, I'm assuming there's an element of the leader supporting that team to know themselves as well, to be able to come out. And then you talk about this idea of scale. Um, maybe Ruth, is there something around the way that we're, we think about performance and coaching within our own organization as the launchpad? We've come up with this, this concept of anybody can be your coach. We can help you to understand and unlock those components. And in fact, let's move away from your line manager as your coach to having a different conversation because that supports the growth of the whole. I don't know if it's worth um, maybe speaking a little bit about that. And then I'd be really interested, Ren, on where you've seen techniques or other leaders deploy what they've learned about themselves and the way they've unlocked that into their own teams and their own organizations in order to be able to unlock a collective growth. One of our core behaviors is that we love and we actually use the L-O-V-E word, my friends. And that means that we, we show up for one another with honesty and respect, but in the mindset of critical friendship. So we very much kind of are embodying that as an organization. And actually, we're still experimenting with it to, to really get it to work. But what we're trying to build is... Um, an organization and an ecosystem where performance isn't a dirty word. Performance is something that we regard positively, um, where we have open and transparent conversations with one another that's, that come from the place of critical friendship rather than, you know, squ squishing one another's hopes and dreams um, in the way that they so frequently can. And that one really, um, it, one that really encourages this sort of collective evolution of our people by enabling anybody to coach one another, providing each person feels like that's a winning trusted partnership. Um, and we've actually had training for our people on how to have coaching conversations and all those sorts of things to make it clear that actually you don't need to be a subject matter expert to be able to coach somebody effectively. And you don't need to be a coach. You actually just need to learn how to listen and to and also care deeply enough about the person that you're speaking to that you, you can therefore align yourself with what their goals are and what the collective goals are for the greater good. So that's very much what we're kind of working towards and what we're encouraging in our portfolio companies. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're, like I said before, we're just getting started. That sounds great because that's exactly all that thematically, that's absolutely how to do it. When I'm coaching uh, founders and they're building their teams for the first time, and this is a, a really critical moment, right? How do you recruit, for example? Like, who do you put in the room? And what I always go to first is if you really understand your own strengths and you know your weaknesses, you want to hire supplementally. Right. So if I know I'm a real idea person, but I'm not very good at getting it done, like I just right, then you really want to hire around you very uncomfortable people. And it's operational people. It's people that don't get into all the dream stuff. They just actually hear what you have to say and they go, okay. So if I was going to do that and they go boom, boom, and they start going right to this process, they build a spreadsheet and all that, you need them in the room. The problem is they're very uncomfortable for a creative person. 
The scared person goes, ah, but, but, oh, this man, they want to get into the clouds, right? So you hire a team around you that supplements your weaknesses. And then you have to, at that moment, realize what you just did. You hired them for a reason, right? Which means by definition, trust them to do their job, right? Which means now your job is not to, your job is actually to be their coach. Your job is now to be the one helping them have the resources and time that they need to get their job done, right? So you have to let them have freedom to do what they think they need to do to solve that problem. It doesn't mean you don't impact it. It doesn't mean you don't debate it with them. It's none of that. But you have to think of them as a partner at this point, not as an employee. The great founders, if they understand a couple of things, walk into that relationship with a vulnerability, meaning admit your mistakes, admit your weaknesses, admit what you're struggling with. It's okay. And then with that relationship, understand that treat them like a partner. Reed Hoffman writes about this in his book called The Alliance. This idea, don't think of them like an employee. Think of that we're in this journey together. I have a role to play CEO founder, right? You have a role to play CFO. How do we now work that together? And then you try to, with that team as their leader, build trust across the team and have that team understand that they are a first team. They are a horizontal loyal team. They are not the team vertically is not their team. They serve that vertical. So if I'm a CFO, I serve my finance team, but that's not my team. My team is that horizontal team that I work with, head of product, head of inch, head of marketing. That's my team. And that's my loyalty and all that. The founder, the, the leader has to, to make that relationship happen with that, with that senior team. So we've covered all that I mean we take us back to we're looking at five years of growth into how do you achieve that as an individual we know the six elements to look for to identify and in some way case you could as a self as a person nominated in that role as a founder as a CFO look for those in yourself and say do, do I have these components does is that the journey that I want to push through and, and kind of go on and then we have this idea of the, the, the three M's. So the mentors, the models, the, the methods, having those connected in. And then we have this third component, which is self. Do I know who I am? Have I hired into supplement where some of my weaknesses are or even potentially to enhance some of my strengths because that's an area of growth or push for us as a business and we need to have more capacity behind that and then making sure that you've got a team across because that team across enables for the scale of the business i mean is that a fair statement about where we've led on this journey is that not that's right but you have only had the last one which is the, mm. the this is the magic one, is it? This is the magic. And this is where it becomes this is where it becomes a real challenge. Because I'm gonna ask you now as a team to do something you have you haven't seen before. I'm gonna ask you to do something that logic tells you it can't be done. I'm gonna ask you to do something that is uh, irrational. Right? We're gonna we're gonna go revolutionize a market. We're gonna um, you know fundamentally change the way people think about you know Airbnb's case travel. Or if it's like what uh, I think about crypto or TransferWise, fundamentally rethink how we transfer money across borders, right? Monzo Bank with Tom, how you think differently about banking, right? Well, that's a hard thing to do. So you've got to live so much in that future world that you can articulate it in a way that taps into logics. So you have to be able to say, 
I realize that right now this doesn't exist, but imagine if we were to do one, two, three, four, five. I'm not saying it can be done, but imagine we could do it. What would happen next? And you get very logical people going, well, I guess if you could, if all those walls did fall down, and if all of a sudden people didn't need food, interesting. Maybe that would, right? You get them in that space. And then your job is to keep them in that space and that watch this space, watch this. And what if we could pull that miracle off? How, what would you, and you appeal to their personal motivation about this. What, what, have, what would it be like if it had been on the original team of Apple building the Apple computer or the, or the iPhone? What would that have been like? Well, you have a chance of being that here, right? That conversation. Like, what would it have been like to be, the, to be in those rooms with five people building things that have revolutionized Amazon? What if you were next to Jeff Bezos? And what I say to London companies all the time is, what you don't understand is, I remember when Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs, all these guys were just geeks that everybody thought were crazy. I remember that. But at the moment, you sitting in London, you might actually be that geek and nobody knows it yet. But in five years, 10 years, you're gonna be the guy on the front of Forbes. I'm just telling you. So you have to bring that team along in this vision and don't be afraid of it. And you have to be able to tell that story in a way that compels them by get them to see themselves to live in that future world. And that's not an easy thing to do, but the great ones do it. And by the way, it's happening in London. There's a number of your, the firms that are growing in London or in Berlin or in Copenhagen. I just worked with a company that just got purchased out of Oslo. It's happening around Europe. There are these founders that are understanding that idea have inspired the team to think beyond what they can see. It's hard to do, but you can even get cynical Europeans to do it. And it's happening throughout Europe right now. I don't know, Ren. The, the ones that created Lego have been crafting worlds for generations. <laughs> Perhaps if we go, Ryan, I mean, we've, we've had a really great kind of conversation and, and coming to that point about the future orientated and crafting what that looks like. Uh, before we close up on today's podcast, like if you had one piece of advice, uh, and this is for both Ruth and, and for Ren here, right? You're talking to the leaders of some of our portfolio companies. You have one piece of advice that is help that will help them to unlock growth. What is it? I think the number one thing for me is, look, take the risk. What does it matter? You're here, right? There is no risk, really, ultimately. There's no failure. There's just this one moment in that light bulb in which you just got this second, right? And in, in time, it's all the same. So why wouldn't you just go for it? Like, if you have a vision or an idea for something, do it. Why in the world would you want to find yourself at a man my age and go, God, if only I would have. Like, why would you do I don't even remotely know why you would think that way, right? So what I encourage people to do is this idea, fundamentally make a decision. Life is short. Be the hero in your own story. Exactly. Isn't that so much more fun? That's it. But what would you say, Siobhan? Oh gosh, you know, you turn the question on myself. So it's <laughs> one question. I, I think it would be, be the hero in your own story. Or perhaps the one piece of advice is don't hold out for a hero. Don't, don't wait for someone else to solve the issues for you to somehow have some kind of a magic bullet. It does, as you just said, Ruth, it, it begins and ends with you. 
the only person that, that has the ability to have that a level of extreme accountability in order to be able to make it happen and you got to believe in that to achieve impossible things you've got to believe that you have the ability to do that to be the hero in your own story is is where i would be and if you can actually get to that space and be really comfortable in that space then unlocking growth is almost easy it has been incredible talking to both of you um ruth because it's pretty exciting that we get to work together every day you've helped me to unlock myself to help us to unlock more as a team and across the portfolio and Ren, you've given us the frameworks to really kind of work with here and i think i think there's going to be some really interesting self unlocking does that even make sense with some of our leaders over the over the next while yeah we're super lucky to have you in our expert network Ren. we really are and siobhan it's a delight to work with you also a real pleasure and thank you both for the uh, including me in the conversation and then we'll set up for our next podcast sometime in january with who knows the next ever wonderful special guest and another special guest from one of our launchpad team as well that's frankly over and out.